the podcaster's guide to the conspiracy, featuring Josh Edison and M. Dentis. Hello, you're listening to the podcaster's guide to the conspiracy here in Auckland, New Zealand. I am Josh Edison, and Dr. M. Dentis this week is back, but not actually on the podcast right now. M is, is somewhat the worst for jet lag. They, they've just flown in and boy are their arms tired or something like that. So so they're, they're going to take it easy and I will do one last, one last solo episode before we get back into the swing of things. But it's not, it's not quite a solo episode. Em's presence will still be felt this week because while they were off overseas taking photographs of unconvincing lion statues... They were producing a bit of a bit of content for us to relay back to you over the coming weeks. The first of which is an interview between M and Julia Dutz, one of the co-organisers of the uh, of the conference that M has been at. So uh, that'll make for some interesting listening, and then I will come in at the end, I think, and uh, give a little bit more, little 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 bit of extra content just to round out the week. But for now, take it away, M and Julia. So I'm sitting here post-conference with Julia Dutz, one of the co-organisers of the second international conference on the philosophy of conspiracy theories. How are you feeling? I'm feeling really tired. (laughs) Same, exactly the same. Yes, tired, but also very grateful and very satisfied. It was a very rewarding experience, I have to say, especially running it in person this time as opposed to running it online. It was quite neat to see people scribbling down notes, talking with people between sessions, and generally just having a good time. Socialising, drinking and socialising. Maybe a little bit too much drinking. (laughs) Yeah, you can hear by the sound of my voice that I took especially that part very serious. (laughs) Well, it is important to have socialisation after a conference because that's where the real meat and potatoes comes out. I have no idea why I just said meat and potatoes there. It's just a, a thing in a thing in English that sometimes you say. So yeah, it was a good conference held all round. Highlights, low lights, different lights? Well I think the highlights were for me were the panel discussions. So we had one on um, the on an interdisciplinary conspiracy theory theory, which I led, which was incredibly insightful and very productive. I led it. It was incredibly insightful. It was fruitful. It was one of the best best panels I've I've ever seen or indeed participated in. I mean, really was incredibly fantastic. It was incredibly fantastic. And I I have to thank that. I I think it has to do with some one of the panelists, which was one MR extent. That person just speaks errant nonsense and you know it. Yes, I know. No, but uh, so Jan Willem van Prooy and Jeroen Narambam, the first one a psychologist, the second one a sociologist, also joined the panel. And I thought there was real kind of progress in in answering the question of how can we come closer together, which I think we'll discuss later on in the episode when talking about our paper. And then, of course, there was a lesser panel on the generalism particularism <laughs> distinction hosted by you know, Melina Sarpos. But the less said about that, the better. Is that, is that right? No. Is, it, is that the implication you're trying to make here? Also incredibly fantastic panel. Also incredibly fantastic. And another person speaking errant nonsense. Another MRX dentist. I don't know where yeah. you dig these people up from. Me neither. Maybe somewhere in, I think, that... Middle country below Australia, somewhere. Look, it doesn't even appear on most maps. It doesn't exist. It's a fiction. (laughs) No, but the 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 generalism particularism panel also was really quite um, insightful and interesting. I think very much so because I think um, there. So the question was: Can the particularism generalism divide be bridged? And I think the answer kind of was very divided, but I do think that we got all a little bit closer together, but that was my interpretation of what was being said. I don't know if you concur, but... Well, I mean, as someone who was on that panel, sometimes I say yes, sometimes I say no, sometimes I think the question itself is rather complicated because it depends on who's bridging and also whether someone instead of bridging, is actually just trying to conquer the other disciplines. Yes, so that was 
also what one of the talks was was about Rory's talk kind of right it was a, a conceptual ba basis that would fit both a generalist um, research agenda and a particularist research agenda so yeah so this was a talk by Rory Ard which actually challenged two dominant definitions in the philosophical literature one by myself one by Keith Harris both of which he thinks are wanting with respect to Ford Siderata for what a good definition of conspiracy theory would look like and it is actually very interesting a hearing your own definition be critiqued in fine detail and then b going rory i think you've got me wrong on at least one point at least one point but no it was a great talk i thoroughly enjoyed rory's talk as it did a lot of the other talks so now i'm going to ask the impolitic question what was the the low point of the conference and there is actually a correct answer <laughs> oh wow I'm not really sure what you're what you're getting at. What was your low point of the conference? That it had to end. Oh, see, of course, see, there's, yes. a, there's a really trite, clever, yeah. and banal art you can I'm give. I'm very happy so, that I didn't just start talking about something else. Yeah, okay. then. Brian Keeley's paper, one of the worst papers <laughs> I've ever heard, it was absolute trash. We love you, Brian. We love you. <laughs> we do. We definitely do. But um, I, w I was not too um, concerned uh, with the conference ending. I think my energy levels were yeah, also. But, yeah, in, I must admit, I mean, there was a kind of blessed relief when it came to in with oh, at least at least finally the talks can stop although for me the talks did not stop because i gave a talk the next day to rick peel's extreme belief project so i've just basically been on this entire time yes definitely yeah so no low points only highs i think and indeed on we're working on a paper together now aren't we yes yes we've been doing it since Oh, probably February of yeah, maybe this December. Year. Yeah, maybe. Of, yeah, it's a bit hard to tell. Time has been a bit weird for me since the end of last year. Yeah, but it's been um, very, very grateful. Like, I don't know why I say grateful, but uh, it's been a, 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 a look, look, if, if you want, <laughs> if you want to pay obeisance to me, that is fine. I'm, I'm willing to just bask in the reflected glory. Well, in in light of the panel discussion, the the the, the first one, the interdisciplinary one, I think our paper makes even more sense now to be written or almost done. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it, seeing it in print. So if you were to give a brief gloss on the paper such that a potential reviewer isn't going to be immediately prejudiced towards it, what's our paper about? I think it's... Um, oh, so this is a tricky one. I'll avoid uh, words in the title as much as I can. But I think it's a, about... Um, a difference in concepts that we can address that hasn't been uh, really paid much attention to so far. A difference between, shall I say it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, it is based upon a previous paper we wrote for the yeah. Social Epistemology Review, Review and Reply Collective. So we're kind of building on that work. Yeah, so I can say it. Yeah. It's between the difference in talking about conspiracy belief and conspiracy theory. And... I think also in the in in the light of the the generalism particularism panel, it's there is really a big difference, right, between the two. So, if you have some kind of a pejorative definition of conspiracy theory, then that immediately allows you to have some kind of basis for saying that conspiracy belief is going to be irrational. And I think we've had this particularism generalism almost, you know, quarrel for a long time enough. And I think that our paper is trying to give an interdisciplinary answer to how we can at least be transparent about what we're talking about and not, you know, have to quibble as much anymore, hopefully. Well, it's also being kind of sensitive to the kind of research questions that people in different domains might be asking. Yes, yes. So we outlined uh, the different CTT disciplines, conspiracy theory, theory disciplines, as should maybe still add a couple to be as wholesome as possible. Well, yes, I mean, Jerome Harambam was concerned we weren't mentioning media studies during the conference. Fair enough, right? Yeah, yeah fair enough. I, I don't know why we, why, why we haven't included it yet, but it's not, it's not been as visible, at least in my literature searches. And um, we explain a little bit how um, these disciplines all ask different kinds of research questions, have different kinds of methodologies and other tools that they will use in their research. 
and explain that if we are to come together at some point, if we are to, you know, um, in- incorporate each other's works, then it would be really nice to have some kind of transparency and sensitivity in how we define and conceptualize our work. So that other... With a <laughs> definition of conspiracy theory. <laughs> so, that, so that, yeah. <laughs> so that we, um, we at least know what the other people are talking about, right? And there's not any accusations anymore of we're just not talking about the same thing and it's all semantics. Like, let's not end with... Uh, uh, you know, with the disagreement of, okay, well, it's all semantics. I don't think that's really productive in going forward. Although philosophers do like saying it's all semantics and then just walking away. Yes, and I hope we won't do that here because uh, I think there's just a lot a lot at stake. It's, it's philosophy in a social relevant, you know, um, uh, area. And it doesn't need to be socially relevant to be philosophy still, of course, but it's still... There are some, you know, real life applications to our research sometimes. Not necessarily all, but something. Yeah, yeah. It would be nice to actually be contributing to public debate rather than railing at the sidelines, shouting at clouds. Yes, or shouting at uh, people shouting at each other and no one uh, knowing yeah. what we are talking about. Yeah. Yes, yes. Persistent disagreement between fields doesn't necessarily mean that no agreement can be found. Sometimes it's just dogmatism or unacknowledged prejudice. Exactly. And I think our paper is trying to uncover a couple of... Um, uh, or actually one major kind of, uh, uh, well, yeah, conflation <laughs> um, of, uh, of concepts and hoping to provide a solution to how to, you know, go about solving this, at least in part. And if people want to have a vague idea of what we're talking about, there is a kind of precursor paper up on the Social Epistemology Review and Reply Collective as part of a rather long set of discussions with Scott Hill. Yes, and it's called Reconciling Conceptual Confusions in the Le Monde Debate, Conspiracy Theory. Trend. Yeah, so it goes all the way back to the declaration in Le Monde and the fight that kind of generated taking conspiracy theory seriously, the edited collection, and now is producing new work for reasons which has somewhat escaped me, other than the fact that Scott suddenly became very interested in a very old debate and wanted to resurrect it. But we've found something to take away from that to actually make it theoretically fruitful. Yes, so all in all, it was a productive, or at least, you know, consequential um, um, debate on the social epistemology review and reply collective. Now, moving forward, and also now technically also moving back, you gave a presentation at the Second International Conference on conspiracy, the philosophy of conspiracy theory, not just even on conspiracy theory. (laughs) So tell me about your paper. Pretend I wasn't even there. You you weren't, right? It was a conspiracy, and there was some M-like. Well, I said, we've already intimated at least three other MRX dentists who were there, so... Yeah, it's all very confusing. Yeah. Um, so my talk um, was inspired by me doing something I think was a little bit of social, socially relevant philosophy in the, out in the real world. It was super scary <laughs> um, because I went to the to the uh, to speak to the Dutch police, and what I've learned there is that um, I think that there are a lot of ways in which you can. Uh, describe can, uh, people who believe in unwarranted conspiracy theories as you know um, in pejorative terms, but I think we sh- probably shouldn't. Um, in so far as mm, them making assertions about conspiracy theories is very much loaded by a lot of other motivations, so a lot of distrust in the government, for example, you know, and to be able to you know address these underlying motivations i think we should be aware of the fact that just like that the uh, the fact that conspiracy theories conspiracy theorists who believe in unwarranted conspiracy theories make assertions which maybe have a polarizing effect scientists do so too so when um, or a scientist, or institutions, or the media, or politicians, right? Anyone with power. If they do so, they kind of, in some instances, and I talk, uh, I talked about COVID as an example, 
Um, they kind of sometimes uh, give ammunition to people who believe in unwarranted conspiracy theories or have already have this very uh, distrusting attitude towards the government. So the talk was on assertions in uh, conspiracy theory-induced polarization cases. Kind of. <laughs> so with, when we talk about polarization, there's kind of worry that academically we all know what the term is, but actually no one really articul- articulates it. So what is polarization and why is it something that we should be taking seriously? So polarization, um, at least on the view that I incorporate, is where two people enter a debate, you know, having a certain position, leaving the debate on a more extreme version of that position instead of coming closer together, right? It's moving away um, uh, from each other. So when, if you, say, believe that um, uh, the Dutch prime minister has some kind of, uh, is a reptile, for example, and is uh, governed by Illuminati, whatever, and we enter a discussion and you believe what you believe and I believe that it's not true, and you make um, uh, an assertion on, on the belief that you hold, then that sometimes has the effect of me or the other way around. I don't know. I don't want to say that you believe this, uh, but the other person in the conversation to say, you're not a reasonable person and I'll, and quite frankly, shutting the door on even, you know, considering discussing, discussing with this person ever again. And I think that that kind of deadlocking, otherwise open-ended discussions, which are also often also with, in, with conspiracy theories, often a political debate, which should be open-ended, right? Which should be, at least to some extent, reasonable and not seeing the other person as immediately unreasonable by uh, promoting a conspiracy theory. So I think that that's very important, that it's it's the kind of the democratic deliberation kind of model that we maybe value, at least I do, in daily life, that we don't shut the door on people when they make assertions on conspiracy theories, in the sense that that deadlocking the discussion has this polarizing effect because, you know, you're not even able to to consider each other's positions anymore. Well, before someone promoted the conspiracy theory, hopefully you were still willing to do that. So what kind of is interesting from, say, the layperson's perspective about polarization is that we do seem to live in an increasingly polarized society. And we also seem to be living in a society where we're having a lot of debates about the terms of debate, how we go through public discourse, who we listen to, who we let into the room, who we don't let into the room. How does your work kind of feed back to that kind of layperson's debate about what do we do with, say, toxic views or views that we disapprove of, which may have conspiratorial content? Well... This was so. This was not that much in the talk, right? I I kind of um, uh, stared clear there for from like um, you know uh, proposing a policy of how to go about these things. But what to me seems like a like a, a viable or possibly viable solution would be to consider what's at stake, right? In 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 someone's promoting an unwarranted conspiracy theory or someone's. Uh, dogmatic adherence to all scientific claims that are made even when they change right it's i think it's the um the the stakes that are underlying these positions that we can always still talk about so if you believe that um uh, covid was uh, you know made in a lab and leaked on purpose and whatnot i we can still talk about like why you distrust the government or why you distrust this institution or you know what? What kind of what what drove you into this attitude of of being distrusting? And I think that that's a, a lo- very much a different conversation. But it's also not so much on the conspiracy theories anymore. So it's um, turning from philosophy of conspiracy theories to something maybe rather different. And what's interesting about that? I had a conversation with a psychiatrist probably about ten years ago back in New Zealand, and he was talking about how he treats subjects with paranoid delusions. And see, what you never do is suffer the delusion. You just keep asking probing questions about the situation that got that they got themselves into. And so, you know, they'll talk about, you know, 
do you really distrust your friends or could there be another explanation for what's going on there? So taking the paranoia out of the discussion and making it about the causes of belief rather than the consequences of belief. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, 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 I have a similar experience or at least, well, I've heard of similar experiences where the, the Dutch police, they, they told me that um, a lot of people who actually are arrested at, for example and uh, you know covid demonstrations or who were anti-vaxxers or you know most of these people when they were arrested they would like quickly gave, give up on their beliefs they were like you know i was just uh, on my laptop at home and you know i thought this was a very a viable position to hold and now that it has gotten me here i will i will drop it like this is not what i what i intended to do in the first place and that's interesting, but what's also interesting is that the small group who who does not do that, who you know, holds their belief and you know keeps steadfast, they are the ones that, in most cases at least, and this is very anecdotal, but it, I I think it has changed my view on conspiracy theories a little bit, is that the people who hold on to these beliefs they often have a lot of prior reasons already for having this distrust in the government. It's not that they were you know perfect trusting institu- institutionally trusting citizens and then covid hit and bam that that's not their story they they went through all these scandals like tax problems that they were in uh, uh, un- unjustly taxed way more than they should have which took years to to recover or they were in foster care for their entire you know youth and had a lot of bad experiences or, you know, you, they, these people have a lot of different explanations for why they believe that what they believe or what they promote to believe. And I think that that's at the core of every case of conspiracy induced, conspiracy theory induced polarization, at least in, I said in any, but I should say some as a particular shit. In most of the, or in some of the cases of conspiracy theory induced polarization, I think it's actually about something else. And I think that these people have good reasons to, you know, be in the position that they are. And hence, conspiracy theories, unwarranted conspiracy theories, become more probable, right? They have priors that that kind of shape their evidential policies, so to say. So this goes well beyond the talk you gave, but what do we do in situations where you have someone who's trying to create polarization? So someone who is entering the debate to make it more polarized by, say, pretending to be an aggrieved party, even though they are insincerely asserting that in the hope it drags other people with them to, towards a more polarized position. So say like Alex Jones. If you, if you take it that Alex Jones is someone who doesn't really believe his conspiracy theories, but uses them as a vessel for selling supplements online, and thus has realized he can capture his audience by saying extraordinary things, dragging them along with him so that he becomes their only trusted source. What do we do in a situation where you don't have actual polarization? You've got induced pol- polarization with conspiracy theories as a vehicle. Yeah, so, so I think... These people who would do that are, I would call them conspiracy entrepreneurs. So these are people that benefit either financially or like in their social status in some way of promoting conspiracy theories. And I think these people are a lot less interesting um, to to consider or to even like think of solving you know, their position in a way. I think those are not the people that you're ever going to uh, come closer together with. I don't think that because their whole, you know, social environment is built around them promoting these kinds of theories. I think it's very hard to, you know, have a, a really open discussion with someone like that. But I think that the people just below that kind of, who really do have the belief, those are the people we can absolutely still talk to and we shouldn't i use a very strong term uh, in in one of my papers it's it's a kind of ideological segregation to shut the door uh, the moment someone you know promotes a conspiracy theory but i do think that for people like alex jones there is this kind of shutting the door also to you know to kind of cancel or de-platform someone like that because it can be very harmful 
that they promote these theories, which, you know, other people will then adopt or like they're being almost sometimes being taken advantage of their, you know, their vulnerability, even though that vulnerability is very well, you know, reasoned for or very real, right? So, yeah. It's interesting you bring up the term cons conspiracy entrepreneur, which I'm very afraid just mispronounced, but that's fine. Uh, speech disfluency lets me get away with all kinds of linguistic murder because that's a relatively recent coinage, isn't it? Yeah, I'm not really sure who... I think it might be Sharon. Yeah, I think yeah. so too. Yeah, I, I know that Sharon has been talking about conspiracy entrepreneurs for also Dutch television and whatnot, but um, yeah, I, yeah, I think it definitely could be Sharon. And I think that conspiracy entrepreneurs are very, very different kind of you know, creature to deal with within, if you're looking at conspiracy theories from uh, a political, social, societal uh, perspective. And I think that they're, you know, yeah. So in, in the Netherlands, there were a couple of uh, conspiracy entrepreneurs that were very active and also in all kinds of different um, conspiracy theory waters, so to say. And um, there's been this, you know, um, uh, uh, project of the police uh, to arrest a couple of them and like intern in a couple of months they arrested multiple of them they had a lot of court hearings and uh, the, uh, they've all been in uh, they've all been um, arrested arraigned no, charged yeah. sentenced to death sent into space <laughs> put into prison planets yeah uh, convicted sorry oh. sorry yeah they've all been convicted <laughs> much yeah. much more sensible than my options yeah and this is difficult because i have a background in law i know all the legal terms very well in dutch but in english it's very hard to make the make the switch not for convicted but for the yeah. like the, the the reason they were convicted is because they pushed other people to do illegal things and i don't know the, the English word for that one, but uh, yeah. uh, entrapment. No, it's like um, by in, like inciting people to, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, to to do um, uh, illegal things, or you know that you post uh, messages, for example, on Twitter that you know could have very well, very reasonably lead to other people's acting uh, against the law or against some uh, um, regulation that holds at that time. And that's the that's the main like the main um, uh, article that they've all been convicted on, which I think is is also showing the, the entrepreneurial kind of idea what these people are doing. They're you know they're selling, the, um, uh, they're influencing people, they're influencers, but in a yeah in a, in a very political way, which is kind of sometimes very problematic. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I find the conspiracy entrepreneur stuff fascinating because on one level, I entirely understand where it's coming from. There is a particular class of conspiracy theorist who seems to be in the business of promoting conspiracy theories in a way which at least looks slightly inauthentic because we can give some other motive as to why they're promoting it. But at the same time, I also kind of worry that maybe we're creating a brand new pejorative. That if we rescue conspiracy theorists as just being anyone who believes a conspiracy theory, go, yeah, but not those guys, not those people over yeah. there. Because there is that whole intent is magic thing going on here. Now, the real reason they're putting forward a conspiracy theory is their health pills. And it actually might be the case. Alex Jones really does sincerely believe all the inconsistent conspiracy theories he has and also thinks that you should take as many male vitality pills as possible because they make Alex Jones into the magnificent masculine specimen he is today. <laughs> yeah, I, I, t I totally agree. So I wouldn't say that conspiracy entrepreneurs don't believe the conspiracy theories they promote. Uh, what I would say is that these people's lives revolve around promoting conspiracy theories to a, um, to a large audience. And that, you know, with with um, with great audiences come great responsibilities. I, I almost might yeah. say, and that's also what's behind these convictions, right? That it's 
like I could make the same claims as some of these um, Dutch conspiracy entrepreneurs have made, and I wouldn't be convicted because I don't have an audience that will listen to it and will act on it, right? But because they do, they should be more responsible. And they also acknowledge that, like one of the uh, people who got convicted in the Netherlands, one of the conspiracy entrepreneurs, they had a legal team like within their conspiracy uh, theory uh, community, a legal team uh, to check all the, the tweets uh, to see if it would, like, um, uh, you know, would cross the law or not, which I think is already a sign of how, you know, organized um, some of these conspiracy entrepreneurs might go about what they are doing. Yeah, so we're talking about a conspiracy theorist who isn't, and this is a term I realise you only learnt yesterday, of a garden variety. Yes. Instead, they're they're a kind of rare specimen. So the whole garden variety thing is, you know, you have you have plants in your garden, but those are standard plants. You know, you go you go to a botanical garden to see the really special variety of plants, and they're rare and they're unusual. And people like Alex Jones, people like David Icke, they are rare and unusual characters. Yes, and. I, I don't think it's a bad thing at all that they are being arrested and that my kind of my idea of conspiracy entrepreneur also ties in with that because these people do illegal things and by being arrested um, they often you know at least for some amount of time get their phone taken away from them like their their platforms kind of you know are taken away from them or and even might shrink a lot doesn't mean that others won't pop up and, you know, to, to to take on the role that's been left empty by the people in jail. But still, like, it's uh, it makes sense to me that people who are, you know, promoting illegal actions should be... Um, <laughs> should be. <laughs> Do you want to commit to the... People who promote illegal action should be... Should be mm, uh, careful. I don't know with what with what they say next. With what they say next. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. And also with um, you know. So what I've also learned that the police is that there and you know this probably better than I do because the the there that there is an insurgence of this new phenomenon which is people who call themselves sovereigns and in the Netherlands it's. Maybe newer than in New Zealand, but it's, um, yeah, it's a growing phenomenon and it's uh, pretty concerning. And what you see is that, you know, conspiracy entrepreneurs, the, at least the, the big ones, the one, ones I mean, which, you know, their whole lives revolve around uh, promoting these conspiracy theories and they're doing it in an organized kind of professional way. These also tap into this community of sovereigns often. Yeah, and the sovereign citizen movement is kind of fascinating from a polarization perspective because it seems every interaction a sovereign citizen has, say, with the judicial system, confirms to them that they were right about their sovereign citizenness in the first place because they don't seem to give up on, I can use the magic words and say my real name is blah. They get pinged by the courts, and yet they continue to persist. That, oh, this is more proof that the courts are covering up the real legal system that underpins our great nation of insert name of nation here. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You're you're giving them ammunition, uh, like in a way, you know, for their beliefs to to, to stick fast, to steadfast in their beliefs. But I was talking to Jan Willem van Broeij, and uh, as you bring up like the judicial consequences of being a sovereign, he was like, oh, yo, you don't really need to worry about these sovereigns because in time, they all do something illegal, right? They, they will, if, if the police system works, which is, of course, an, an if, if the yeah, judicial yeah. system works, which is, of course, another if, you know, quite big or small, depending on the country that you live in, um, they're doing something illegal, so they will be... Know, put away at some points. Yes, although if the polarization rhetoric is correct, it, they might be put away, but it doesn't actually reduce their belief at all. Yes, which I think is quite problematic. So to get back to the talk a little bit is, um, I think it's important to just you know keep an open discussion going with people, even if they promotes very much unwarranted conspiracy theories and not to shut the door and say they're 
mad, bad and dangerous uh, for believing that. I think that's very important to avoid, you know, them uh, by shutting the door from your side, you're effectively closing them in an echo chamber. That's kind of how, you know, the metaphor works in my head. Like, where do they go if no one is willing to even consider them reasonable persons? They they will, you know, go and speak to each other, which uh, is not... uh, See... Si Nguyen Nguyen. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Si, so. si, si Tai. Oh, now, now I can't remember how to pronounce his last name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pacific Echo Chambers. Yes, exactly. Um, and, y- you know, the, the effect of epistemic echo chambers is probably, in, all, in a lot of cases, polarizing. So I think that by shutting the door, you're doing a lot more harm than good, often. I, I also agree with uh, objections that say, like, you know, some conspiracy theories you should not really not be spending any attention on, right? So my answer to them would be, yes, but you can still talk about the the underlying griefs of these people, uh, which brought them to, you know, consider conspiracy theories, which are unwarranted in the first place. But this is a very... very premature psychoanalysis, which should not be... Uh, considered as advice in any way, shape or form. This is very uh, preliminary work that I've been looking into and need a lot more data on. So where's next? What pro- what other projects are you currently working on? Um, well, I'm working on the, the conceptual, uh, on a paper that provides a conceptual map. So I think it will maybe be uh, a sequel to to our paper like our paper saying you know conspiracy theory and conspiracy belief you have to you know, distinguish between the two or at least be transparent if you're not doing that and my own paper that will hopefully sequel that one is um, um, a more of a conceptual basis on all of the concepts or at least uh, a lot of the concepts in the conspiracy theory theory literature so it's kind of mapping which concepts we can talk about, conspiracy mindset, conspiracy entrepreneurs, also in there, conspiracy belief, conspiracy theories. There are, I think there's more than 25 concepts that I go over. And I map them in a way that hopefully should make sense to uh, multiple d- disciplines working in conspiracy theory theory and give some kind of grounds of why we should ask certain questions about certain concepts and not others. I, you know, categorizing and demarcating different uh, uh, parts of the map. Excellent. I'm looking forward to seeing these results and also looking forward to seeing where our paper lands. Me too, yes. Well, I think it's been a long week for both of us, so I think we'll call this recording to an end and go wet our whistles somewhere in Amsterdam. Yes, let's do that. I'm down for doing that, yes. Over and out. And there you have it, the first of what I believe will be a few interviews uh, that Ian has brought back with him from overseas. There was a uh, there was an issue with the recording equipment at one point. The thing that Ian had been using for recording interviews died, but I think they managed to get some sort of replacement. And I also think some of the interviews that were going to occur were happening over Zoom or something anyway, and would have been recorded that way. So I, I'm pretty sure I haven't heard any of the other interviews, but I I understand they exist, and I imagine we'll be uh, feeding them to you in the in the near future. But for now, that was that was quite. I, I was quite interested in the talk of um, Julia's talk with the police and the, I guess, the psychology of of some of these conspiracy theorist types can be quite interesting. Although, of course, we're a we're, we're a philosophy podcast here. Thank you very much. But the psychology is interesting nonetheless. Now. That was, I, uh, by my reckoning, about half an hour's worth of interview, and we're, I, I think, I think we're saying that this is a proper, a proper episode this week because technically it does have me and Ian in it, just not together at the same time. So I think this is going to be a proper episode. So I should probably give you a little bit more content. Uh, and I thought again, I thought as with last week, I would look into current events and. As with last week, and even more so than last week, current events have basically been death. 
death and more death. That bit, um, what's it in? It, uh, in, in? In Return of the King, the last Lord of the Rings film, when they're having, there's, there's the big battle at the end and King Theoden of the, the, the horse people gives his big speech, which I can't remember any of it. It says, I just remember that it ends with him shouting, death, 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 as they all do their charge. And that, 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 seems to have been a, a fairly good approximation of the tenor of this week's news because we, we've lost a fair few people this week. We, we've lost the Iron Shake, a titan of wrestling. We lost Treat Williams to a, a motorcycle accident. Treat Williams, fabulous actor. I personally would recommend uh, Deep Rising as a, as a personal favourite of mine. Excellent 90s monster movie but 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 he's been in a hell of a lot of stuff and you should watch it if you haven't because he was good and, and he will be missed uh cormac mccarthy no 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 greater uh, uh, literary figure than cormac mccarthy also died this week and similarly great in his field john romita senior if you don't know that name you've possibly never read a comic before and quite a few people haven't but um if 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 you have any knowledge of comic books at all you have heard the name john romita senior he was one of the most well-known artists of he 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 did all the classics basically all the all the earliest comic books you'd if you if 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 you've ever seen a sort of classic bit of comic book art if you've ever seen an article of anything where the cover of a comic book has shown up or something like that they they when they had an example chances are it was something that was drawn by John Romita senior he was um i think every bit as as well regarded in the field of uh, in the in the genre of comic books as the likes of Cormac McCarthy were in the field of literature, but while those uh, were good people who will be dearly missed, there were some other uh, less savoury types who will perhaps not be as missed by as many, but who did leave lives considerably more conspiratorial, which makes them better for talking about on this particular podcast. So Robert Hansen, it turns out, was um, was just the start of things. Uh, earlier this week, or what, if it wasn't this week, it's certainly been in the week in between the last episode of this podcast coming out and this one, uh, Ted Kaczynski died. Ted Kaczynski, otherwise known as the Unabomber. Now, I don't know why. I had, I, for, some, for some reason, I got it into my head that he was called the Unabomber because at one point he tried to bomb the United Nations Assembly and UNA stood for United Nations Assembly. But I see reading from reading about him after his death that no, it was because he mostly, to begin with, bombed universities and airports. So he was the UNA bomber which became Unabomber, which is a little bit strange. Now, I may be a little bit cheating talking about Ted Kaczynski, because as far as I can tell, he worked alone and therefore did not conspire. But that's always been one of the things that we've we've talked about with the, the one of the conditions on what counts as a conspiracy is that there have to be multiple conspirators, because it does feel a little bit weird to say that Ted Kaczynski doing stuff that had another person been involved or known about it in any way, pretty much, it would be a conspiracy, and yet simply the, the fact that he did it by himself was still doing the sorts of thing, you know, he, he was still working in secret doing the sorts of things that, would, that we would expect conspirators to perhaps do, and we don't get to call him a conspirator, but but but, but any rate... He was he, he led uh, he led an interesting life. He was if you've um, if you've only heard of him from the movie Goodwill Hunting, you will at least know that he did quite well in the field of mathematics at Harvard initially. I see he um, it's been pointed out that while he was in Harvard, he participated in a quote purposely brutalizing psychological experiment led by a psychologist at Harvard called um, Henry Murray. And it's, it seemed to be basically they had to write a whole bunch about their personal beliefs and aspirations, and then someone would take what they'd written about themselves and just just be incredibly abusive and, and mean to them and, and just say horrible crap about them using using the these deep these personal thoughts that they'd written down as ammunition and then the the subjects would sort of sit there and be monitored with electrodes to sort of try and study the 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 anger and the rage that was um that was was stimulated by this sort of thing. And so he was it lasted three years. So every week for three years Ted Kaczynski sat down and had someone abuse and humiliate him in the name of science. Now he has said he has he has said that he is quote quite confident that his experiences with Professor Murray had no significant effect on the course of my life. 
so that's what he said. Apparently, his defense lawyers tried to say that this was may you know, he may 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 have um, had something to do with why he did what he did. Some people even suggested that this study might have actually been part of Project MK Ultra, or I don't know. But that's an interesting, an interesting little detail in his early life. And obviously, he went did well in mathematics, and then resigned from uh, the University of Ber- Berkeley or Berkeley. I never know how you pronounce it. It must be Berkeley in America because they say Berkeley in England and you guys have to do everything different, don't you? But he, he, he resigned from that, uh, went and lived in a cabin in the woods and started committing acts of arson and booby trapping and, and bombing and sent quite a large number of bombs to a large number of places, ca- claimed a number of lives with his bombs and interestingly enough, um, much like Robert Hansen last week, he, he sort of got caught when people recognised his style because he basically blackmailed the media into publishing his manifesto, essentially said, someone needs to publish this manifesto of mine or I'm going to keep doing bombings. And somebody did. And it was bec- when his... Now, let me check. Was his brother? His brother yes, his brother. His brother, having read this this manifesto basically recognized he said this this sounds like the way my brother talks and that seems to have been basically how they how they managed to get onto him i think that was sort of the start of it and then uh, uh, just just reading reading through an article here the that, that put the fbi onto him not not everyone investigating the case was convinced that uh, this actually was him but once they Invested him, uh, arrested him, and investigated him, and and found a whole bunch of bomb making stuff in his cabin. That was it for Ted Kaczynski, who died June the tenth, twenty twenty three. Now, who else died this week? Pat Robertson. Pat Robertson. Robertson. I always want to say Robinson. Pat Robertson, who will not be missed in in certain segments of of society. He was a he was a religious. He was a Southern Baptist minister. He was a very conservative Christian who said a whole lot of the nastiest shit that we tend to associate with the more toxic breed of Christian conservative. I don't know that he specifically conspired much, but he certainly, I think he could be counted as a conspiracy theorist given the way he would blame anything that bad anything bad that happened on the gays or the muslims or the feminists or the liberals or what have you he got in a bit of trouble immediately after september 11 when to 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 be fair he didn't say this jerry folwell who he was um he was talking to said that he's, he he's, he blamed September 11, 11th to an extent on the ACLU as well as pagans, abortionists, feminists, gays and lesbians. Robertson, however, did reply, I totally concur. And uh, both he and so the two of them, Falwell and Robertson, both got in a bit of trouble for that. He implied that uh, Hurricane Katrina was God's punishment in response to America's abortion policy. Did similar things about the 2010 Haiti earthquake. He, he, he just he, he was not a nice person, and he did seem to see some sort of conspiracy. Th- in fact, to, to be fair, actually, he published a book in 1991 called The New World Order, which I believe was, was largely, what have we got, Illuminati, Masons, doesn't... Doesn't specifically mention in the in the um, in the blurb uh, specific anti-Semitic type conspiracy theories, although apparently that th- that that's basically what it comes down to. There's a whole lot of um, Jewish conspiracy stuff, as well as Freemasons and Illuminati and so on. There, so he was. I don't think there's any any denying that he was a conspiracy theorist of one kind or another. And now he's dead. So where did that get you, Pat? And then finally, in the in the cavalcade of death that was the last week, we have Silvio Berlusconi. Good look. Now, I, I had a quick look. Again, I, I don't I can't don't know off the top of my head of any specific conspiracies that he was involved in, but he must have been. I mean, he's been he's been convicted of a bunch of stuff, or at least he's been tried of a bunch of stuff and convicted of some of it. But I had a look. I went straight to his Wikipedia page just for the summary, and um, most of these were like, you go to Pat Robertson, and oh, look, there's the controversies subheading that you can look down to read a bunch of the stuff 
that I was just talking about, go to Silvio Berlusconi's page, expand the controversies section, you think, gosh, that's quite a long controversies section, click down to it, the first thing is a link to the main article, there, there is an entire Wikipedia article devoted to controversies surrounding Silvio Berlusconi. He was, um, he was an interesting fellow. A lot, of, a lot of stuff around conflicts of interest with him being um, when, when, when he was in power, uh, either economic or media, media control type conflicts of interest. But this stuff just goes on and on and on and on. And then there's also, oh, so, so there's um, all this stuff. Then you get the jokes, gestures and blunders section, which is almost longer than the, um, the other ones combined. What sort of things did he say? Going all the way back to 2003 said his opponents should play a Nazi concentration camp guard in a film. He said that people should invest in Italy because they have the most beautiful secretaries in the world. He said Mussolini had been a benign dictator who did not murder opponents but set them quote-unquote on holiday. Oh, God, he, he, he referred to Obama as young, handsome, and even tanned, which uh, sounds like it should be racist. Uh, oh, there's, there's some stuff I'm not going to repeat uh, on this podcast. He 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 was into a lot of stuff. Although to be honest, I I can't think of him and not laugh purely because of Frankie Boyle's bit on Mock the Week, which I can still remember now, where he basically compared Silvio Berlusconi to an old style sort of fixer and offering to set Gordon Brown up with whatever he wanted: drugs, woman, men, woman, men, prison, man, girl, eight arms, four arms and four legs, loads, make, like making love to a man spider, and then going on and on and on about about man spider. It's, it's look, look look up Frankie Boyle talking about Silvio, uh, Silvio Berlusconi. It does actually make a lot of sense when he says it. There's the whole bunga bunga business, which I'm pretty sure is racist just off the off the top. I'm pretty sure bunga bunga is meant to be some sort of African sounding thing. So there's your stuff off the top, but um, those were his, his his notorious parties. He was involved in the Panama Papers, the, 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 the Panama Paper stuff, which we have talked about a bunch of times. That provided a whole bunch of information about um, his various various assets that he... Um, he had he had squirreled away. It just it just goes on and on and on and on and on. And I could go through it with a fine tooth comb and pull out the bits of it that are that are explicitly conspiratorial. But frankly, I can't be bothered. He also appears to have been a bit of a dick, and he, now he's dead. And once again, where did that get you, Silvio? So there you go. Death, 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 and more death. Who knows what the next week will bring? Probably more death. Be interesting to see, I suppose. So that I'm I, I'm I'm gonna I'm put, gonna put my foot down and say this is this is episode 405 of the podcaster's guide to the conspiracy. We're back we're back into regular episodes. This one had me and it had him. I, I say that counts. But next episode next episode will definitely have me and have him. He says presumably before immediately contracting COVID or getting in a in a in, a, in an amusing car accident or something. So he will have to do it for a few weeks. Who knows. Life does work out that way, but 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 I know of no reason sitting here right now why Em and I will not be recording the next episode together. So um, make of that what you will. But at any rate, next week, in whatever form we are, we will be back with with something. There'll definitely be something. So um, listen out for that. I haven't. I've, I, it just occurs to me I haven't been doing the usual Patreon plug thing, which is probably good because we haven't been putting out uh, bonus episodes all the while while I've just been doing little filler ones. We'll have to start that up again. Uh, and, and and when we do, if you want to listen to them, you can sign up to our Patreon by going to patreon.com and um, searching for the podcaster's guide to the conspiracy and signing yourself up. You, you get our Discord where we never post anyway, but we might. We could. We might. One day you can talk to us. I check it every now and then. It does actually happen. But I think that is enough for this particular week. Actually, hang on. Let me, let, let, let me just check. Let me just right now go on Google and check to see has anyone else died in the time that I have been talking to you. No, I don't I don't see any more significant deaths. I think we're safe. I think we're safe for the moment. So I better quit while better quit now while I can and simply uh, wish you all a good, hopefully death-free week. That would be that would be the absolute ideal, I think. And until next week, I'm just gonna say goodbye. The podcaster's guide to the conspiracy stars Josh Addison and myself, Associate Professor M. R. X. Denton. 
Our show's cons- Sorry. Producers are Tom and Philip, plus another mysterious anonymous donor. You can contact Josh and myself at podcastconspiracy at gmail.com, and please do consider joining our Patreon. And remember, nothing is real, everything is permitted, but conditions apply.